0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're in a series that we've entitled Outrageous, and we're just looking at some of the outrageous statements in Scripture. Um, Many of them come right from the lips of Jesus, some just incredibly outrageous things that he said that just on first glance don't make any sense at all until you begin to understand What's behind that teaching? So uh, we've been looking at a few of them from Jesus' lips. This morning, we're going to look at one from the Apostle Paul, although it's rooted in something that Jesus said in some of his teachings. But Paul kind of came out really explicitly and talked about the whole idea that your weaknesses can actually be your greatest strength. Your weaknesses can become your greatest strength. And that sounds just like really outrageous. That just doesn't sound like it makes any sense at all. But as we go through it this morning, I hope you'll, you'll come away understanding that, that really that is the truth. That God can take your greatest weakness and make it your greatest strength. Now, I want to start with this whole idea is that every one of us in this room have weaknesses. Okay, You have at least one weakness. And, and just bringing that up, there's probably something that comes to mind for you. This is, Yeah, this is my weakness. Now, if you can't think of anything, I mean, if like you're total, total blank right now, what I would advise you is go home and ask your wife. Or your husband, or your kids, or someone, you know, because there will be more than that. Now, okay, it's Father's Day, so okay, dads, we will let you live under the illusion of perfection for a day. Tomorrow, you can ask, okay? But the truth is, we all have weaknesses. Every one of us in this room. Your weaknesses might not be the same as mine. Mine might not be the same as yours, but we all have weaknesses, And and what we tend to do is we tend to kind of uh, deny them or ignore them or try and pretend they don't exist, which is about the same as not going to the doctor because you think he might tell you you might be sick and you don't want to know that, so you just don't go. Okay, Denying it doesn't change it. Um, Some of us, we try to kind of push it down or hide it or cover it up or somehow make up for them. But the truth of the matter is we've all got them. And Paul wrote about this. He had some of his own weaknesses. And he, and he wrote about them so that we would understand that, that your, your weakness can actually become one of your greatest strengths. Whatever it might be. And that might seem really strange to you. But let me give you some readings from um, the Apostle Paul. He wrote to a church. He actually wrote a couple of letters to the same church. It's called the, the church in Corinth or Corinthians. And so in your Bible, in your New Testament, it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. There's just two different letters that he wrote to them. But he wrote to them about this whole idea of weaknesses. And he actually talked about it in both of his letters. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 1. If you want to follow along, pull out your Bibles. It's the first letter to the Corinthian church, the first chapter. Uh, begin reading in verse 25. Paul wrote these words. He said, The foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of who you were when you were called. who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. He says, listen, you're not all that. <laughs> and neither am I. But because of our weaknesses, God does something incredible in that. And he, and he actually went on in his second letter to them a little bit later to kind of talk a little bit more about that on a more personal note. Um, because by this time, he had planted many, many churches. He had taught in many uh, different churches. He had, he had been so involved in ministry. And actually, he ended up writing more than half of our New Testament. Incredible, incredible man of God. But he writes this. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. And that doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Unless you begin to realize how God can take your weaknesses and make them your greatest strengths. Because there's some things about your weakness, whatever it might be. And let me kind of give you a definition, okay? Um, because when we're talking about weakness, I want to be clear about what we're talking about. A weakness can be defined as any lack or limitation that I can do nothing about. Any lack or limitation that I can do nothing about. In other words, it's something that, that, that is, is a, a lack on you or a limitation, something you just can't do on your own strength. And you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything to change you can't do anything to change this particular thing. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And there's some really cool things that God does when He uses your weaknesses. There's a couple of things. First of all, understand your weaknesses is, is, is what make you more relatable. Your weaknesses is what allows you to be able to re- relate to other people. Because nobody likes someone who you know, puts himself up on a pedestal. And when you pretend or deny or, or cover up what your weaknesses are... What, what that looks like to everybody around you, because they know your weaknesses anyway, is that just looks like hypocrisy. Because that's what hypocrisy is. It, it's covering up and pretending to be better than I am. And by the way, we all suffer from that. That's one of the criticisms that are made of the church very often, that it's just full of hypocrites, which I say, yes, it is. Because our whole world is full of hypocrites. We are all on some level trying to be or pretending to be better than we really are. In fact, actually, did you know that that's, it's actually part of the makeup? It's how your brain functions? Did you know this? There's an interesting program that's just started coming on on the National Geographic channel. It's called Brain Games. And it kind of does something to help you understand how your brain works. And, and there's, it's a really interesting thing that part of the way that God has designed your brain is to be able to make up for your lack because there's no way you could possibly know everything in the world. And, and, and because you have this lack... Um, what happens is your brain functions on something what psychiatrists call the illusion of knowledge. Your brain fills in the gaps. Let me give you an example of this. Let me put this up here on the screen. What I'd like us to do is everybody read this out loud together. Will you read it with me, would you? New York. Oh, a few of you caught it. Okay, some of you didn't. So I'm gonna, those of you who caught it, don't you participate this time. We're going to try this again. One more time. Everybody read it out loud together with me, would you? Ah, a few more of you caught it okay? for those of you who didn't let me read it word for word New York in the the spring how many still don't see it Okay. <laughs> no. what happens is your brain it, it kind of makes up for those glitches and, and, and it kind of gives you this illusion like you know everything let me give you another example of it actually a couple Okay. think about this how long do you think the Mississippi River is Okay, don't say anything out loud yet. I'm going to let you do this out loud. But I'm going to give you... You don't have to give the exact mileage, okay? But in miles, how long is the Mississippi River? And what I'd like you to do is kind of give me a range. So just like, you know, between whatever and whatever, miles long, okay? So on three, I'm going to have to just shout out, how long do you think the Mississippi River is? Give me your range from? There's a lot of them, okay. If you said something like between a hundred and a thousand miles you would be wrong okay if you said between a thousand and two thousand miles you would still be wrong if you said between two thousand and three thousand miles you would be right but let me ask you why didn't you just say between one and a million because you know you would be right on that one okay but see what what happens is our brain we don't want to admit that we don't know And we know that we don't know, so when we're given a chance to give a range, we kind of set the range pretty narrow because we want to be close because we think we know. See? It's called the illusion of knowledge, and it's one of the ways that our brain functions because our brain can't take in all there is in this world. We can't possibly understand and completely know everything there is to be known. And so our brain kind of sets us up with this idea that we think we know. And so it fills in the gaps for us. So that's why we tend to think we know more than we really know. Or even sometimes pretend to be more than we really are. And what happens is we think that makes us better. We think that that gives a better image in front of people. But the truth is, it ends up cutting us off from other people. And when it happens in spiritual matters, when we begin to think that we are a little bit better than we really are, when we begin to believe that we're closer to God than we really, really are, then we begin to think we know more about God than we really, really do, what we end up doing is we start putting ourselves on a bit of a pedestal. And instead of people looking up to us because they know, they can see you can't keep that image up forever, it comes across as hypocrisy. Paul said it is much better to admit your weaknesses He wrote to them, he says, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God. I came to you in weakness, with great fear, and with trembling. Now, Paul was actually a really bright guy. Like I said, he wrote more than half of our New Testament. He was an incredibly insightful guy. He he had tons of knowledge. He was schooled under the tutelage of one of the best, most well-known rabbis of his time. He was raised in new Greek literature and, and Roman history. He knew all of those things. He was a really smart guy. But he said, listen, I didn't come to you to show off. I didn't come to try and impress you with my knowledge or, or my, my experience. What I did was I came to you just as a regular person. And I think that made Paul far more effective and relatable to other people. See, your weakness, when you try to cover it up, when you try to pretend that it's not there, when you try to be better than you really are, all that really does is cause a separation. Makes you less relatable. When you acknowledge your weaknesses, it makes you much more relatable to other people. The second thing that it does is it prevents a sense of superiority. When I'm willing to admit my own weaknesses, I take myself off of that pedestal that I like to build under me. It shatters my whole sense of superiority. And um, the, the interesting thing about pride and superiority is it is one of the hardest things to recognize in ourselves. Have you noticed that? People will be able to admit that they have a, an anger problem. They'll be able to admit that they have a fear problem or anxiety problem. be able to maybe admit that they've got a greed problem or a problem with resentment. And they will go to counseling, they will go to therapies, they'll join 12-step groups to deal with all of those kinds of things. But did you notice there is no 12-step group for arrogance? (laughs) I have never had anybody come and say, I need some help with my pride. There's no treatment center for conceit. There's no workshops for the self-absorbed. We could admit all kinds of other things, but we can't see that in ourselves. We can't admit it in ourselves. But it goes deep within us, every one of us. And our weaknesses have a way of humbling us, bringing us back on everybody else's level. And Paul said, listen, remember, as a church, think of who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That God intentionally chooses weak people To do some of his greatest work. You know that when you read through scripture. Some of the great heroes of faith that we talk about and and preach about and, and, and study about. Were some of the weakest characters you could find. Moses who was called by God to go and speak on God's behalf in front of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. So that the nation of Israel would be released from their captivity. When he is called. One of the first things he says is but I've got a speech impediment. I'm slow of tongue. God chooses a guy with a speech impediment to be his voice in front of the king. Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, shows all kinds of signs of depression and struggling with that. Gideon, Gideon, who God called a great man of valor, said about himself, I am one of the weakest people in my family and my, tr- my family is one of the weakest in all of Israel. How can I be the guy to lead? Peter, great apostle, great, one of the closest of Jesus' disciples, was impetuous and impulsive and it got him into trouble all kinds of times. See, what happens is your weaknesses Take you off that pride pedestal onto the level ground of everybody else. It's just a reminder. And Paul understood that. As incredibly insightful and and smart as he was, as much as God had used him and given him incredible vision and revelation, he said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. God purposely stuck something in my life. A weakness of mine. Something I couldn't do anything about. God purposely did that. And, and there's been a lot of speculation over the years what this thorn in the flesh was. Some people think it might have been his eyesight, because in another of his writings, he talks about writing in large letters, that maybe you know, maybe it was a problem with his eyesight, maybe it was a problem with baldness. Could have been. I don't know. Um, but nobody knows, and I think I think purposely kept, it's kept vague in Scripture. So that every one of us could be able to relate to Paul. Because you might have a weakness and you're wondering why is it there and why doesn't God take it away? It's because he wants to keep you humble. He wants to keep you be able to be relating to other people. We don't know what it was, but we do know the purpose of it was humility. Paul said he gave it to me so I wouldn't get so puffed up about myself. And that's what our weaknesses do. And that can be a strength when you realize that. Because it makes you more relatable. It keeps you down on everybody else's level. Weaknesses can also deepen your compassion. Some weaknesses that we have are temporary. We go through a difficult time. The stresses of a difficult time might become a weakness on us and it might extend for a while. It might be a physical condition. There's a lot of different ways. Some might be permanent. Just something that's a part of your life and it's been a part of your life for as long as you can remember. And and maybe, maybe you've tried to change it. In fact, maybe you've even prayed and asked God to change it. But He doesn't. And you're wondering, why doesn't God change it? Why doesn't He change it? Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God said to him, You're just going to have to trust me on this one. Because I'm not going to remove it. I'm going to leave it there. But it's going to be so that you could learn to trust and rely on and rest in my grace, not in your great ability to perform. It's just going to be a reminder to you all the time. And God can do that in ways that if you will be open to it, will actually change the way you relate to people and make you more compassionate. In fact, Paul wrote another place in the same letter. He said, the God of all comfort comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He said, when you learn to just rely on God and rest in His grace and realize He's put that in your life so that you could relate to somebody else and be a comfort to them, that can become an incredible strength for you. Many of you know I have struggled for years, over 10 years, with clinical depression. And that's not an easy thing for me to talk about. But I'll tell you what it has done for me. It has changed the way that I pastor. It has changed who I am. Because before I before I kind of got struck with this about 10 years ago, I, I, I would have people come in, talk with me, you know, and people come in for counseling and people come in and say, you know, I'm, I'm really battling with depression. And I would be a nice pastor and I would try to be helpful and comforting. But inside, I'm thinking to myself, well, suck it up. <laughs> come on. Put on your big boy pants and get on with life. It's not that big a deal. Because I never understood clinical depression. And so I would try to be a nice kind, compassionate, helping pastor. But inside, I was thinking, come on, what's the big deal? Until I got struck with that. And it fundamentally changed the way I relate to people. Because I understand, this is not something that you can just suck it up from. But you yeah, to understand, it's something that goes deep, deep, deep. And days in my lowest points where I just didn't want to get out of bed, didn't know I could face life for another day. And when depression becomes so overwhelming to you, it's like a spiral that just keeps going down and down and down, and you can't pull yourself out of the spiral. And I never understood that. I never got that until I went through it. And it's only been maybe in the last year or so that I've really begun to feel some relief for that. And when it first struck me, and I went to my doctor, and he diagnosed it, and he told me, and I said, okay, so what can I do to fix this? And he said, listen, some people, it's with them the rest of their life. I don't know what it's going to be for you. And I had to get to the point where I was willing to say, okay, God, if this is it, I, and I believe me, I prayed often for God to take this away from me. And I finally got to the point where I had to say, God, if this never, if, this never, if I never get relief from this, then use it Somehow to make me a better person. God will do that. That your greatest weakness. If you're willing to admit it, if you're willing to say, okay, God, if you're not going to remove this, then somehow use it in me. He will do that. Which is the last thing, that weaknesses make room for God's power. When you come to the end of your abilities, that's right about where God steps in. When you come to your weakness and you can't do anything about it, it teaches you to rely more on Him. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When it shatters that image and illusion that we have of being in control, being in charge, knowing what needs to be done, having it all figured out, when we come to the end of that, we're at the beginning of where we begin to let go and let God do something. And that's one of the powers of 12-step recovery groups. It's one of the powers. And because it's a biblical principle that you have to come to the point where you admit, I have a problem and I can do nothing about it. I need someone else. I need a power higher than myself. And when you get to that point where you're willing to let go, you start to put your trust somewhere else. God starts to come in. He starts to make sense out of it all. He starts to make strength in our greatest weaknesses and turn them around completely. And God can do that in you. The heart of the gospel really is this, that God became weak for us, that Jesus took on humanity with all of its frailty, with all of its limitations, with all of its weaknesses, And then, and then, in that weakness, also took on our sin. And paid a price on the cross for it. So that we could be not just forgiven of past sin, but be given the strength to start a new life. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's what it's all about. God taking weak, imperfect, faulty, frail, broken, messed up people... And giving them a new life. And he can do that for you. So Paul says this. So for Christ's sake now, I delight in my weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. In whatever weaknesses, whatever struggles, whatever things I might come across. I delight in them because I know that when I'm weak, it's the beginning of my strength. Would you bow your heads with me?